Well, 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 welcome to the mayhem. Dick and Lloyd mayhem. Media mayhem. Market in a mayhem. You might love it, you might hate it. It's my favorite freaking show. Hey, welcome. It's Dick and Loy, and we're back again. Hi, Loy. Hey, Dick. How you doing, buddy? You know, I'm doing good. Looking forward to this show, man. We got a good one up here today. Give us a little tease about our guest. Well, we've got a, a very special guest. It's Barry Grissom. A lot of people might know that name. He is a former U.S. attorney from this area, a U.S. attorney from 2010 to 2016, and He's got some big, surprising career developments wow. since then. All right, look forward to it. A lot of things we're going to learn. Uh, hang on, let me get this. Hello? Hey, Dick. Buzz Martini. Oh, our sales guy. Well, where are you? Yeah, look, look, champ, I can hardly hear you. I'm, I'm on an airplane. Oh. Uh, coming back from the big podcast convention. Oh, yeah. And, uh... Hey, you know, if I said I was catching the world on fire, I'd be lying. But listen, it uh, turns out uh, I picked up quite a few pointers on your podcast. Oh, good, good. Yeah, it uh, turns out, number one, yeah. your name, apparently, it sucks. What? Nobody knows what it's about. What, what do you mean? So, wait. it's kind of a, it's kind of dead out of the gate. I mean, what? what? Which, that's kind of bad news. Oh. Yeah, and then uh, I found out... Uh, you got to really work on the female demographics a little more. Apparently, Dick... What do you mean? You are really big with the female uh, demographic, 78 and over. Huh? And one 23-year-old hairdresser in Belton who has daddy issues. Uh, <laughs> so we got to work on that, champ. What? Yeah, well, we'll talk about it when oh, I get back. Okay. Right, Dick. So here we are at the Diebel Cigar Lounge, and and we have a a guest with a great story, uh, a really good guy from from right here in our neck of the woods. His name is Barry Grissom, and if that sounds familiar, that's because Barry was recently the U.S. Attorney for the District of Kansas, and he went on to uh, private law practice and. His next move is one that I don't think anybody saw coming. Really? Well, I was surprised when I heard it. Hello, Barry. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to have you here. Thanks for taking time out of that busy world you've created for yourself. Yes, that busy world. Uh, No, this is great. Good good to be here with you guys. Well, Barry, before we uh, spill the beans on on what's going on in your world, you know, it's fascinating because we don't often talk. In fact, I usually avoid U.S. attorneys <laughs> as much as possible. I've been in their company a few times, but this is, you know, when I'm when I'm hanging out with you, that's, that's the only time that it's actually a good thing. But tell me, how does that happen to somebody, Barry? I mean, you're, you're a local guy, right? Right. I, it's, it's uh, you know, it's kind of uh, getting hit by lightning. It's a very rare occurrence. Uh, but no, I was uh, really lucky. A longtime friend of mine, uh, Congressman Dennis Moore, great guy most of us remember from when Dennis was in Congress. I was involved very early on in some of the fundraising aspects of then-Senator Obama's campaign. Mm-hmm. And when uh, he won, Dennis reached out to me and asked me if I might have any interest in being the United States attorney, something I never in a million, jillion years thought was even remotely possible. That was something 
somebody else did. Sure. It was an incredible experience. I got to uh, six years as a U.S. attorney. I left in 2016. I started in 2010. Worked with some amazing people at the Department of Justice. I was able to kind of look behind the curtains and see how sausage is sometimes made and, poli- <laughs> and policies yeah. put together. So, no, it was, a, it was a fascinating experience. I highly recommend it for any lawyer. It's, I think, probably the best job any lawyer can have, quite frankly. Well, I can see, uh, right now, there are a bunch of lawyers out there making a note to self. <laughs> yes, note to Become self. one of the 93 U.S. <laughs> well, what are some of those stories from your time doing that? That uh, are there, Was there any mayhem involved in the whole thing? Well, I don't know if mayhem is the right word. Yeah. Uh, and yet they, there weren't a lot of yucks. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, we, didn't, you know, we didn't sit around and laugh a lot. Yeah. Uh, you, you did some pretty important stuff. One of the things that uh, I, when I went around the state... Uh, and, and spoke to people because I thought during my time I wanted to put a face on uh, the federal government. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a threatening face that they, mm-hmm. we actually did good stuff. So when you go out and you would talk to a group of people and often they would start uh, with their arms folded across their chest mm-hmm. and being a trial lawyer, you're able to read your jury and you know they have no interest in you or what you have to say. But by the time <laughs> the presentation was finished, Often they came up and thanked you for your service because they saw what good we did that we just weren't, the federal government just wasn't some dark cloud on the eastern horizon that was going to come in and step on them or something. Okay. We actually did things like stop human trafficking, sexual exploitation of children on the internet, mm-hmm. uh, violent crime, uh, terrorism. And you know, people always say, you talk about terrorism, they'd always, you know, you know you'd get the kind of faraway look, oh, that's something that happens in Boston and New York, sure. and LA, but not here. And then you have to remind people that the very first attempt at taking down the World Trade Center in 1993, when a young man drove a, a rider truck into the basement and set off, forgot how many hundreds of pounds of mm-hmm. dynamite, and literally almost imploded the, the, the building, he was a student at Wichita State University. Okay. He was right in our backyard. Yeah. And I also remind folks, largest act at that time of domestic terrorism by Americans on Americans was the destruction of the Alpha P. Murrow building in Oklahoma City. And all of that formulated in Junction City, Kansas, okay. Harrington, Kansas. Uh, it was right here under our nose, and we didn't have, know anything about it. So it, uh, uh, terrorism was kind of our number one priority, uh, making, making sure to keep people safe. Yeah. Well, without giving away any state secrets, uh, what other sort of terrorism facts and figures might be of interest to people in this Midwestern area where well, we are? Well, you know, we just... I mean, there were sleeper cells here. Oh, I, well, the, well, just we just... I still say we. It's no, no, I'm no longer part of the, the office. But the office just convicted three men in uh, southwest Kansas who were uh, going to target a bunch of Somalis some uh, Muslim Americans. When I was U.S. attorney, and I can, I can tell you the date that it went down because it was my anniversary and my wife couldn't understand why I was leaving. And mm. I said, it'll, it'll be in the papers tomorrow. Okay, wow. <laughs> my excuse will be in the paper tomorrow. <laughs> it but, wasn't that you forgot flowers. It wasn't I forgot okay. flowers yeah. or anything like that. It was okay. December the 11th. Uh, we stopped a fella who was, and, and this is, and I, folks who are listening to this, this is, I hope they pick, pick up on this because this is one of the challenges that we now in the world that we now live in. Here's a guy, he uh, was a 55-year-old gentleman, employed, was an avionics technician in Wichita, married, had a family, uh, no criminal record, 
And he went in his basement and he became self-radicalized by watching YouTube videos. Oh, wow. And he decided that uh, his act of jihad was he was going to drive a truckload of explosives into Wichita Midcontinent Airport during a busy pre-Christmas season and his goal was to kill or maim 500. And TSA and some other folks told us really his estimate was way low. It probably been about 1,500. Mm-hmm. But we were able to stop him before he did that. Wow. We were able to stop a... Uh, Another, you know, American-born kid, uh, went to Topeka High, again, on the Internet, becomes radicalized and wants to go on the, to uh, Fort Riley and kill as many American soldiers as he can before he goes off and is killed himself and has the uh, virgins wow. that uh, he's supposed to have. What he didn't realize, I don't think a lot of people realize, is those virgins might be nuns mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> with rulers. Yes. <laughs> For oh. the rest of eternity, oh, so. Wow. Uh, but, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, my but, fir- the first part of my life started that way. That was rough. Got, I was scared straight. That's right. <laughs> wow. So many, things, so many things go on that you guys handle that we really never knew that much about. Yeah, you know, it is. It's. It's. I mean, even being the U.S. attorney, mm-hmm. some people go, "Oh, so you're the attorney general?" No, no, I'm the United States. Well, they. Just don't understand what that is. Basically, what the, well, you are the top law enforcement officer of the district. District. That's correct. And in this case, it happens to be Kansas. Kansas. Yes, and basically, in those uh, when when we uh, would file something in court, United States of America versus you know Joe Smith or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick Wilson. Yeah, yeah, they're close. Uh, they're, they're, you know, we re- that was our client, the United States of America. We represent them in all criminal proceedings and, and in all civil proceedings. If you sue the government, uh, you know, if you, you know, if you appeal your Social Security claim, well, the U- someone in the U.S. Attorney's Office is representing the interests of that federal agency. Mm, mm-hmm. So it, it, it does a lot, it does a, a lot of stuff, but. Uh, and you're the media liaison in yes. most cases too, right? Because yes. you're I mean, the you're, you're, uh, you, you face are, of the department. Yeah, you're, you're out there. And as I said, that's, that's one of the things that we attempted to do. And I think we did a pretty good job is to get out and kind of put a face on what we were doing. I, I think in my little uh, GOV, I did 65 or 70,000 miles in state. Oh, oh wow. Uh, because, matter of fact, when I had my, my last interview with then Attorney General Holder, he said, well, you know, if the confirmation comes down, you know, what's the first thing you're going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go to Dodge City. And he, he looked at me and said, you mean like Marshall Dillon, Miss Kitty, Dodge City? And I said, yes, sir. Because That's what all those guys think. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, fly, we're fly over America. Yeah. I mean, they just yeah. know us by the, the 50s and 60s right. sitcoms. TV and shows, yes. Shows. But no, I thought, you know, um, two-thirds of our population lived in the eastern one-third of our state, but that didn't mean the folks who were out in far western Kansas shouldn't get the same attention that sure, folks got yeah. in the eastern Kansas. So we made, a, we made a real effort to reach out to law enforcement, and, and I, think, I think it worked out real well for the most part. Who was your counterpart in Missouri? Oh, well, uh, Beth Phillips started. Matter of fact, I saw her name in the paper this morning. She's a federal judge now. And, of course, in Missouri, you, you had two. You have the eastern district and western district two federal districts, so you have two U.S. attorneys. Okay. Uh, most states like Kansas, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, Montana, uh, uh, we just had a, a, a single district. Uh, California, you have four. Mm-hmm. You know, Florida, you have three. So uh, it just depends on, and Oklahoma, for some bizarre reason, has three. I'm absolutely confident that it's a great political story behind how they got three, you know, <laughs> since they had about the same population base that we have in Canada. Yeah, that one's hard to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> 
has something to do with oil. Uh, probably so. Yes, yeah. oil and power. Wow. Oil and power. You've been in uh, as an attorney before you got into this role uh, in 2010. You were were you doing trial work? So, I mean, you're used to thinking on your feet, and you're obviously articulate and a very handsome man, Dick. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say? I, I think he's held up well. He has, yes. Uh-huh. And, and he has a lovely wife. I, you you were a uh, if, did you were you even a model or something? Did you, you know do some when when um, I die, and mm-hmm. let's say along the way I discover the cure for all cancer. Oh, okay. You know it's going to say on my stone. There's still going to say was, you were a model. He was a model. Yes. No. I yes. Uh, okay. I, I, I did that <laughs> uh, to uh, put myself through uh, my last two years of law school. And, okay. Uh, well, it's my, nothing to be yeah. ashamed of. I what mean, kind of I'd clients might we look up and see you on? From the past. Well, uh, we probably any Macy's ad, any Sunday Macy's ad. Okay. In the Kansas City Star. All right. And, or the Jones Store. Gotcha. Here, here locally, but not. Okay. You know, they used to produce a lot of stuff here, and oh. I really thought I, I don't know what was it was in the back of my mind. I guess you just once you're a male model, it's just <laughs> it's indelibly etched in everybody's mind. I, I, did, right. I, I, I did want to be I like did. Barry. I did draw the line. I, I never. I, I was asked several times that you know, well, we're going to do like an underwear thing. I said, no, yeah. not going to do it. <laughs> you didn't want to be the guy on six oh two. Well, uh, yeah, you know, I I thought if because I knew obviously I wanted to practice law and trial work is what, what I enjoyed. I didn't want someone sitting on a jury looking at me going. Imagine how, okay. how do I know him? <laughs> That's right. And not focusing good, on my case uh-oh. or my client. You know what? You had foresight. Yeah. Yeah. Very limited, but but some. Instead, something. they were thinking they're going. They were they were sitting there going, I, I think. Why do I keep imagining him not in that eight hundred dollar suit, <laughs> but in a polyester blazer? Yes. Yeah, from right. Hager. Yeah. There you go. There you go. If he would just throw one foot out into the right a little bit, I think I'd recognize him. <laughs> if he check his watch. That's right. That's right. Put his hand on his hip. Uh, that's enough no, for that. Sorry. Yeah. That's right. No, that, that, but uh, I digress. Man. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that's good to know we need to know where everybody came from yes yes yeah. uh, a man of the people <laughs> <laughs> that's phenomenal hey dick let's let's uh let's go down and get a drink let's go down to the lounge hey i'm ready man let's go uh, i wonder who's performing down here today hey look who's here oh hey dick and Lloyd. how's it going wow bob Dedlin. Wow, why are you here? What's on your mind? Well, I'm kind of pissed off. I spent all night on hold trying to call my cable company. Oh, I know what you mean. I feel the same way. You get online, you call them, and they say, we are experiencing a high volume of callers. Yeah, it drives me crazy, man. Hey, Dick, make yourself useful, dude. Here's a tambourine. Loy, here. Yeah? Well, just, yeah? Just stay there. All right, guys, hit it. You've got a lot of nerve keeping me on hold. After telling me my call's important to you. And it pisses me off when you tell me to listen closely. Cause the options have changed Like you don't know I can't see right through you 
Don't give me that unusually high volume of calls now story I know it's bullshit and I'm sending you a warning I'll get on the social media and throw a fit and then you'll be sorry Who the hell else is calling you at three in the morning? You think that I don't know You're just trying to save a buck Not paying someone to talk to me Talking to the hand in Pakistan Like some helpless cut While your whole music from hell Plays so cruelly I wish that for just one time You could sit here at my phone Just for that one moment This could befall you Yes, I wish that for just one time You could sit here on my phone You'd know what a drag it is to call you Your call is important to us We are experiencing heavy call volume Which may result in a delay All right, let's head back down to the Cigar Lounge with Barry Grissom. I think what happened after that, you you joined a local firm and you took your expertise as an attorney and your newfound worldly experience with that federal perspective and you went to work for a law firm here in town, here in Kansas City. I did. Great law firm, good people. Absolutely. And I was there for a couple of years and um, transitioning to some other things right now. I think when we spoke and, and you, you told me uh, what you were transitioning to, it was a little bit of a surprise. And I thought, I, I called Dick and said, Dick, I've got a friend who has kind of a man bites dog thing going on here. <laughs> okay, yeah. So tell us, Barry, tell us, please, uh, Barry Grissom, what is next for you? Well, um, my experience. Uh, Hang on, let me do just a little fanfare. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, my, my, my experience uh, as a United States attorney and in interpreting and enforcing the laws of our country, uh, you get to see uh, the application of the law from, I think, a unique perspective. Mm-hmm. You sometimes uh, you see things that you think are maybe not fair or just, but it is the law, and you swore to uphold the law and to interpret the law and to enforce the law. Um, Certain drug laws in our country, I think, are amoral. I think the havoc, the destruction that it brings on communities, families, weighed against the punitive effect that they're supposed to benefit society, uh, would have, it just isn't there. And, and in particular, laws that uh, surround cannabis or marijuana. W- one of the things that, and I'll say we attempted to do, we being Attorney General Holder's Justice Department, is we try to emphasize the word justice. Mm-hmm. As I always like to tell people, it was the only department in government that's named after a virtue. 
justice. And we try to do things that they refer to as smart on crime, as opposed to just kind of throwing out the big net and getting a 30-person you know, conspiracy where everybody has to do a 10-year minimum, no, no matter whether you're the big fish or the little fish. We try to be more fact-oriented as to what is the more appropriate charge as opposed to something that we can mm -hmm. pigeonhole folks in. And one of those is, like I said, it was in the area of, of uh, uh, drug enforcement. Taxpayers waste, a, I, I should say, taxpayers' money is wasted in some of the enforcement uh, surrounding certain drugs, particularly uh, marijuana or cannabis. The amount of money that we spend on investigation, interdiction, arrest, prosecution, and incarceration as it relates to issues related to marijuana, it's, it's a waste of taxpayers' money. So I thought, Staggering. oh, it is. And that's one of the things I came to find out about being the U.S. attorney was that, like most red-blooded Americans, I believe that, you know, if, when you're in the federal government, if you need more money, you just got it. Mm -hmm. You know, just go down to mm -hmm. Fort Knox, back the truck up, get some more gold, you and you know, do whatever yeah. you need to do. Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't work that way. The uh, taxpayers uh, of the country, uh, through Congress, gave me about eight and a half million bucks per year. And I had to make decisions about what were going to be my, my priorities as far as using that money. Running three offices, approximately 50 lawyers, 56 support staff. You have to make decisions. Where am I going to put you know, my troops? Mm -hmm. And Because you don't get any more. Once it's gone, it's it. So it's, uh, most folks don't realize that. I mean, it's in, uh, so for me, uh, marijuana enforcement in the latter part of my tenure was not real important. And I came to be there not only just for just by sheer observation. I had a, I think, a somewhat unique experience. I had friends of mine in Northern California in a conspiracy charge in my office that I didn't realize that. And once I did realize that, I had to recuse myself and I wasn't involved mm -hmm. in the case. Wow. And it's, it's really difficult when you walk by the court, uh, courtroom and you look and you see somebody who you know is a really good guy, a really good gal just as you know they're in their universe in Northern California, they're just mm -hmm. farmers. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Uh, but now they're drugged into a conspiracy where they're looking at doing a 10-year minimum. They're looking at a multi-million dollar levy being levied against them, a uh, judgment. That started to shape my focus. So I thought when I leave the Justice Department, what little gravitas I might have as a former United States attorney, how can I use that in a criminal justice reform efforts? whether it's talking about sentencing reform, bail reform, or uh, reform uh, in regards to doing away with cannabis prohibition. Because as most of your folks who are listening probably know, under the, uh, the federal uh, drug laws, a Schedule I drug, which is where cannabis is, is right next to heroin. Right. Mm -hmm. That's insane. The two are not equivalent. They are without going into all the history of it, it's really fascinating why they are there together. And it really it had is. something to do with immigration and it, uh, it vilifying had, uh, it had Mexicans. It, it, well, it had a lot to do with Richard Nixon in 1970. Okay. And, uh, but we're way past that. Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're now, we're in our country, we're, uh, we're now, we have 30 plus states that allow for some varying mm -hmm. forms of, of legalization. We have nine states that allow for full recreational use. Mm -hmm. In all likelihood, uh, medical cannabis, medical marijuana, is going to be on the ballot in Missouri this fall. Okay. There's legislation uh, 
uh, pending in uh, the United States Senate that basically says to states, this is going to be your call. We're going to get out of it. The president just said before he went to Canada that if that legislation were to arrive at his desk, he would sign it. So the pendulum has really swung uh, way away from where it was in 1970, 1972. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, it's fascinating what what's going on with the political status oh. quo because both parties have substantial wings of people who support decriminalization. Absolutely. Uh, for different reasons, but really it all comes down to this this kind of get off my back thing that's going on and, and, and people realizing, like you said, the cost associated with this stuff and the fact that you have to, at some point, establish priorities. Well, you know, it's, you know, there's different reference points to come to this issue. One, I'm very pro-law enforcement. I think the police who do a great job of keeping us safe in our homes and in our communities they need to have all the resources at their disposal that they can possibly have to keep us safe. Spending resources on some kid who has two pounds of marijuana from Fort Collins who's driving to uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and we spend time and effort stopping him on I-70 and arresting him and, all, and going through that whole mm-hmm. process, that is a waste of law enforcement resources. Mm, absolutely. Another way to look at it is, Lloyd, just you said it, it's if I'm not harming anyone, and I'm in my home and I'm being a responsible adult, why should I run the risk of losing my liberty by being arrested or losing my property by having my property seized? That just doesn't make any sense. And I think it's not a red state, blue state thing. I think most people want government not to intrude in their lives. And uh, as I said, it's not a red state, blue state. I mean, you look in the last election, you know, uh, Mrs. Clinton got trounced in North Dakota, medical marijuana passed. She lost in Arkansas, mm-hmm. medical marijuana passed. Mm-hmm. She lost in Florida, medical marijuana passed. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not tied to any political group per se. I think, I think it's, uh, quite frankly, I think it's a very American notion. Yeah. A very American notion. You know, you know, stay out of my life if I'm not harming anybody. And, you know, one of the things that, we, that was done during the time that I was uh, with the Department of Justice is Jim Cole, uh, who was the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, he signed off on what's called the Cole Memo. And the Cole Memo basically says to states and a, a bunch of U- U.S. attorneys, we worked on this because the U.S. attorney, a good buddy of mine, John Walsh in Colorado, John could see this coming down the pike. They were going to have, they were going to have a referenda and it was going to pass. So then the issue becomes, okay, the states pass this, the federal government prohibits it. So are we as the federal government going to go in under what's known as preemption and say to the states, you can't do that. That's something the, the populace of that state wants. Mm-hmm. And it, so we decided, or I should say, uh, a number of us decided, and uh, Jim put it into the Cole Memo, which basically stands for the proposition of if you are a state and you have a regulatory scheme in place, you don't sell it to minors, you don't have uh, folks who are convicted felons involved in pretty much like how they regulate alcohol. Right. If, yeah. you, could, if you had that scheme in place, the federal government would not step in. And... And Colorado is a perfect example of what I think is a great success story. Colorado, according to their, their Department of Revenue, in 2017, there was $1.5 billion of cannabis sales in the state of Colorado. As a former prosecutor, that tells me $1.5 billion did not go to bad guys. It did not go to okay. criminals. Yeah. Instead, mm-hmm. it went to entrepreneurs who created 20,000 
new full-time jobs that paid a living wage and generated just a hair under $250 million of tax revenue for Colorado. That is a win-win-win situation. And I, I think uh, if, if nobody had done it and we we're having this conversation, it, there'd be a lot of unknowns. There aren't any unknowns now. We see states like Colorado. We I mean, we see, for recreational use states, I mean, we see the successes they've had. They've had some growing pains, but compared to continuing to enforce the law and incarcerating people and taking people's property away, it just doesn't make any sense anymore. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hold on a minute. Let me get this. Hello? Dick, it's Tony Labruzzo, second base coach for the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, Tony, we're right in the middle of an interview with Barry Grissom. Oh, I'm so sorry about the team this year. Dick, yeah, it's terrible. I mean, we're struggling, you know. We're trying to get some in the W column, and it ain't going so good, you know. So, uh... Trying to figure out how do we get people out of here. You know, attendance is down. So, uh, what, what? What's the we plan? We're thinking about uh, having you and Lloyd help us out. Oh, okay. And what? What can we do? Yeah, we were going to have a bobblehead night with you two guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. Our heads on a bobble. Yeah, what kind of? You know, not the usual thing where we have a bunch of expensive statues made. We were just going to get you two idiots to stand out in front and let everybody kind of knock you around. Right. I think I'll be busy that night. I'll see if Lloyd's available. That'll be great. One's better than nothing. All right. Uh, Sorry about that. Uh, Lloyd, go ahead. Has there been any similar nullification process that's happened on a national basis like this where it just kind of organically starts getting nullified? Well, uh, it's, you know, it, it, and you use, you use the, right, the right word. It is organic. I mean, it's, it's kind of coming at us at light speed. It was like, uh, I just returned, I was in Colorado two weeks ago at a, uh, a conference, a National Organization to Reform Marijuana Laws, Normal. Mm-hmm. I think and, everybody's heard of that. Yeah, and Keith, Keith Strop, great guy. Keith started it in like 1970 with a $5,000 donation from Playboy Enterprises. And now they're, you know, it's all over the world. And to think all those years that Keith and folks in his organization labored, and then all of a sudden it just, bang, it's changing. Just like I said, almost at light speed. I mean, even, even I just noticed down at State Line and 103rd Street, there's a CBD shop. And the CBD, CBD, as folks may know, is the is a derivative of cannabis mm-hmm. that doesn't have a, the THC content. Mm-hmm. But you know, f- for lotions, for you know, whatever. There's all kinds of medical oh, yeah. qualities oh, yeah. that oh, they yeah. assign yeah. to it. It's yeah. gonna, uh, you know, it's I, like DMSO or something. You put it on, <laughs> and the next thing you know. Well, what was it? I, we were talking about Melissa Etheridge, who has a, a farm out in Northern California. She was on CBS Sunday Morning talking about the hand cream. That if you oh, have yeah. uh, mm-hmm. arthritis, you can put it on your hands overnight. You wake up in the morning and you can sew again. <laughs> you know? yeah. If you can just keep your hands out of the Dorito bag. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's a, you're talking. You're talking. Uh, there's a there's a book. I uh, can't remember the gentleman who wrote it, but it's a great title. It's called Too High to Fail, which I love. Too mm-hmm. High to Fail, and he talks about. Uh, my, my wife and I, we used to own property up in Mendocino County, in Northern California, north of San Francisco. And Mendocino and uh, Trinity and Humboldt were kind of like the, the green triangle. Mm-hmm. And we, we owned a little inn up there for a while. But the reality was just about every other person that we knew, no matter what they said they did, they were somehow were involved in the industry. They were either growers, trimmers, packagers, whatever. I mean, that was just the cash econ- economy. 
So in California, had their uh, referenda to have recreational use, in Mendocino County, it got voted down. Yeah. Yeah. Because they that knew takes a lot of the profit. They out. knew exactly. They knew all. And, and and again, from well, I think Kentucky and places like that are huge in it. So. Oh yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, talking about cha- changing political climate, uh, the Senate Majority Leader uh, McConnell from Kentucky, I mean, he's he's all signed on on industrial hemp, because they're growing industrial hemp in Kentucky like like crazy, and we're seeing. Matter of fact, former Governor Greitens on his last day in the office. He signed uh, industrial hemp law for Missouri. So we'll start to have farmers growing industrial hemp that produces fiber that's softer than cotton, that, produce, that produces uh, CBD oils, that uh, biofuels. It makes, it's, it actually makes for a better paper product mm-hmm. than uh, wood. It's a great product, and it was a huge product in, in America. Oh, yeah. F- yeah, absolutely. And so they really overshot on all this regulation. And in a way, this is kind of a, uh, a revolution against not laws, but regulations that, that cause a distortion of constitutional law. People look at this and say, show me why this is important. Show me why it's valid. Show me why it's serious. And the more you kick it, the more you realize this is, this is just a... A big shell game. It's a big scam. You know, a lot of times when we hear people talk about states' rights, right. we hear them talk about and from the standpoint of, you know, wanting to deny somebody something, like deny people the right to vote, make it harder to vote. Yeah. But states' rights, I mean, this is, this is a classic Tenth Amendment states' rights issue. Each state, whether they want to accept it or reject it, should be able to have that discussion, make a decision. And if they say, we don't want to do it, that's fine but at least be able to have that discussion without the fear that all of a sudden there's a change in the administration or you get a new attorney general and that Cole memo is now torn up because it's just a memo, it's not law. And all of a sudden the federal government steps back into the business of you know regulating cannabis. Well, I don't imagine states' rights was a really big priority of, of the administration when you were working there on, in general terms, was it? Well, I mean, that the, seems like that's the other side. Uh, the, well, I mean, from the standpoint, the libertarian wing. Of yeah, the, well, from from the standpoint, and you know, I think that I think the Cole memo recognizes that the Cole mm-hmm. memo basically says to states, if you have this regulatory scheme in place, mm-hmm. we won't preempt. So they we really were deferring to you know the the. Uh, you know the different states to to, to do what's uh, in your best interest. I mean, they I, weren't saying we have absolutely no interest in this, right. and in fact, are constitutionally prohibited mm-hmm. from doing what we're doing. Right. They were saying we're not giving that up. Right. But okay. Right. And so it's all and in the messaging. It is. It is. And right now, um, be interesting there's, to there's, see how they're going to change it now. Well, uh, from a, a sheer political standpoint. A lot of times, you know, Democrats are taking a page from uh, Republicans, Re- Republicans uh, appealing to their base, but often in states where you could have referenda, they would have something to vote on that appeal to the base, issue about maybe abortion rights or gun rights, things of that nature, mm-hmm. to motivate the base to get out. I think this issue of cannabis, and particularly in Missouri, we're going to have a very close senatorial race. This is going to motivate millennials. This will be something that will get... If you go off to MU or you go to St. Louis U or Wash U, you might actually register to vote this time. Where before, well, mm-hmm. I don't really live here, but I live. But 
you know, that, no, that's where you're going to be for the next four years. And they should like me and you're on the six-year plan. Uh, <laughs> so so, so I, I think it's going to be something that motivates millennials because, uh, kind of a fun fact, in 2014, of all the millennials registered to vote in Kansas, 16% voted. If 30% of the millennials had voted, and they, they pretty much down the line vote Democratic, Democrats would have won every race in Kansas. Mm-hmm. I mean, that shows you the impact of just motivating that slice of the electorate. And I think cannabis is something that will motivate them. I mean, well, there's also <clears throat> the libertarian wing of right. the Republican Party, which is coming into preeminence with, I think, the Trump voter is more inclined to be that way than the Sessions voter. Right. And, and there's been a chasm there that's been really interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. Sessions is saying, I'm a law and order guy, and this is the law that's on the books. Mm-hmm. So we're coming at it. Oh, yeah. He, and uh, Trump's like, not, not really. You know, there was, there was a, lot, a lot of folks in uh, the, the business side of uh, the cannabis world, uh, they were really very leery of when uh, Sessions became the attorney general, because mm-hmm. just for the reasons you just said. But then what he did is he basically deferred to each U.S. attorney as to how they want to enforce it in their particular districts, which mm-hmm. is even more chaotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but So right away, the U.S. attorney for Colorado uh, basically said, we're fine. <laughs> we're not going to change anything. Everything's working out here. And that's pretty much been uh, you know, across the board. I have- did bring definition <clears throat> to it. And, and that, so maybe what he was doing wasn't what it appeared yeah. On the surface. Oh, yeah. I mean, and as, as I said, there's Cory Booker who's got some legislation pending in the Senate. Elizabeth Warren has some legislation pending in the Senate. There's some stuff pending in the House. Four years ago, they established an, at the House of Representatives in Congress the Cannabis Caucus. And it was four guys. There are 120 members now. Wow. And they, and on both sides of the aisle. So this is something that I think candidates running state races, federal races, and, and here in the next few months. I think people will be asking them, if they haven't been asked already, where, where do you stand on this? This is going to be an issue that people look oh, to. Oh, yeah. You know, where do you stand on this? And, and if your position is the position of, say, Jeff Sessions, I think you're going to lose, no, no matter what your political affiliation. I mean, for the reason you just mentioned earlier, Lloyd, I, I think it's time is now. And uh, I think uh, you're, you're pushing back against the tide if you think that you're going to stand up and say, we're going to go back to the old... You know, throw, lock yeah. them up, you know, zero mm-hmm. tolerance, throw away the keys, stuff. It, it's So you're kind <clears throat> of at this point putting yourself out there as a spokesman and because of the innate attention of this is a U.S. attorney who is presenting this point of view that's not exactly conventional or expected, you're going to get people's attention. And so you're going to kind of articulate this case for, are you working directly with these organizations like Normal or? Uh, I've been asked to uh, speak by different organizations Mm -hmm. uh, and and I've accepted those invitations. I'm I'm actually going to be going in conjunction with Normal. Uh, Another uh, colleague of mine who is a U.S. attorney in uh, South Carolina, who uh, he just got industrial hemp through the South Carolina legislature and they're working on uh, medical cannabis down there right now. He and I are going to be going to D.C. and we're going to be putting on a conference uh, where we educate staffers of different members of Congress, uh, kind of the, our position as former prosecutors, uh, w- while we think monies are better spent 
in other areas. And kind of the toll it just takes on, you know, communities, not just you know, communities across the board. I mean, whether you're, you're a kid in Johnson County or a kid in, in Wyandotte County, you get picked up on something like this and the ripple effect that has on the rest of your life. Yes. You know, uh, some of this legislation, which is great, I think the, particularly the, the legislation that Cory Booker is uh, proposing, if it were to pass, it's going to have a retroactive effect that if you, if you, can, get your rec- you can get your record expunged, so that isn't following you around as you apply for college or you apply for a job or you, know, you mm-hmm. just do anything. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, other than just you know, decriminalizing it, I think it's really important that folks who have been in the system have an opportunity. If the crime that they are charged with wasn't one that originated out of violence, but it was strictly possession, uh, you know, selling small amounts, they should be able to go back and expunge and clean up their records and, and, and move on with their lives. Where do you think we are in the timeline with Missouri and Kansas? Which one will we become Colorado first, do you think? Well, I think, well, I, the polling I've seen in Missouri, uh, New Approach Missouri is one of the groups that, uh, and I've worked with them, that's getting uh, the signatures. I think they needed like 200 some, and they turned in 300,000 signatures to the Secretary of State. And they're going through all that stuff now. It's, it's polling in the upper 60s. So it's gonna pass in Missouri. So Missouri is gonna beat Kansas. You know, friends of mine in Kansas, when I talk to them about this, they say, oh, this, this will never pass in Kansas. And as we were talking about before we went on the air, uh, how fast time goes by, mm-hmm. I remember a time when we didn't have liquor by the drink in Kansas. We had, <laughs> That's true. We, we had liquor in Kansas <laughs> never have any idea <laughs> didn't what they is going to politically even, pass in Kansas. Didn't yeah. they even have to put the liquor away on the planes as they flew over yeah. or yes, something like yes. that? Yes, yeah, Vern, Vern Miller. Miller. there and get you. <laughs> <laughs> Send up the Kansas Air Force to bring you down. Uh, but, you know, but, you know, and I also remember you said we'll never have gambling in Kansas. Yeah. It's the old adage, follow the money. Once, if, what's, what's gonna, what I think is going to happen is we, it's Colorado, it's, as we said, it's recreational. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pass in Missouri. Uh, Nebraska has a bicarmel legislature every two years. It's, it's on their agenda. In Oklahoma, later this, I think the, the week of the 20th, 21st, you know, a couple of weeks, it's going to be in a referenda, special election in Oklahoma. So Kansas will wind up literally being landlocked. Mm. And one of my fears, again, from a law enforcement standpoint, one of my fears is we're going to have somebody uh, out of Fort Riley, Kansas, who's been uh, deployed two or three times, four times, suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, does not want to use psychotropic drugs, doesn't want to use opioids, doesn't want to use those, wants to at least try using cannabis first mm. and that person's going to drive to Oklahoma City or to Kansas City Missouri or to Denver and they're going to come back in the state and they're going to be arrested. Yeah. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's 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 just aside from the waste of the resources it's wrong to do it to that person. Yeah. Or the or the laborer who has a genuine you know hurts their back. Uh, and they go to their doc and the first knee-jerk reaction shouldn't be, here's a month's worth of opioids. Mm-hmm. You know, they should, a doctor should be able to say, well, why don't, you, why don't you try this first? And right now, a doctor can't say that because it's a Schedule One drug, as we said. Mm-hmm. A doctor will lose their license. Yeah. So, Much easier to give someone artificial opioids, or to give them opioids than it is to... Well, and, and, and here's another, kind of all these things kind of, kind of parasitic to one another, but... 
Right now, in our country, 117 of our fellow citizens are dying of opioid overdose every day. Every day. Now think about that. If we had an airliner that had 117 people that crashed every day, <laughs> we would be up in arms. Yeah. And we don't seem that, well, there's, it's, people are talking about it. Uh, the idea of building more jail cells as opposed to more treatment centers is just, again, misguided. In states where they have allowed for medical cannabis, its access isn't overly restricted, but it's, it's, you can get it fairly easily. Opioid use, depending on the state, decreases 25, 30% first year because people have an option other than something that has an addictive quality to it. Well, so, even yeah. sadder, this is how this whole meth thing has flourished <laughs> yeah. because you look at the whack-a-mole that goes on with uh, these kind of regulatory, you know, the, the hazards that happen when you you push regulation and, and you think that it's it's a good thing or you sell it that way mm-hmm. and then the thing that causes that you know the solution is much worse than the problem you wind up creating a meth epidemic because people don't have act you know people who are forced into these situations of making a choice that's mm-hmm. that's bad when I first went into US Attorney's Office there was a case that we were prosecuting and it was a doctor and his wife down in southeastern Kansas. And they had a cinder block building their clinic. And uh, we had, had put uh, pole cams out to, to monitor comings and goings. And they opened, I'll say like at 8 o'clock in the morning. By 7 o'clock, people were already lying around the building. They were going to go in there, going to get, get in there. Fentanyl patches, fentanyl lollipops, opioids. And while we could not prove, as in each case, we believe as many as, in that small community, in that small area, 63 people died of, of overdoses. Mm-hmm. And we were able to prove, I think it's either five or six, but that, that's in rural America. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. These, these small folks, towns are ruined, a lot of them. Oh, absolutely. And again, when we talk about resource use, isn't it a better use of the taxpayer dollar? And isn't it better public policy if we help folks who find themselves addicted like that, as opposed to incarcerating them? I just saw a fun fact, at least in the state of California, uh, to keep someone in prison, it costs like $75,000 a year, more than it costs going to Harvard. (laughs) Well, another part of this that isn't necessarily a good reflection on the way laws and regulations have changed, but the deinstitutionalization that occurred back in the early 70s mm-hmm. that made it harder to have another institution besides a prison take care of people who are uh, really sick. As I tell people, the largest mental health facility in Kansas is the Cedric County Jail. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that's tragic that we are just warehousing mentally ill people in, in a punitive environment. So I think we've got yeah. to go back and look at that. I think, I think uh, so. I, I absolutely. Because that, that was a little bit misguided. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, a, you know, we got, we got to, to a point, you know, the pendulum's always swinging. And we got to a point where a lot of these mental health facilities, in effect, were very jail-like. Yeah. And, we, and I think there was an overreaction mm-hmm. uh, to that. But, uh, you know, we just not as cruel as the sidewalk. That's right. 
That's right. In most cases. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you, 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 you cannot, we can't just warehouse these folks because at some point they leave the warehouse and they mm. come back into our communities yeah. and they pick up a gun or they do something crazy or they assault someone or they harm themselves in front of other people. There's all kinds of levels that are there options that we can take advantage of other than extremes, either putting people on the sidewalk or putting people in institutions. Yeah, and the property yeah. crimes are unbelievable that are associated oh, yeah. with that. Hi, Mr. Wilson. It's Jimmy in the mailroom. Uh, uh, hold on, guys. J just a minute. Jimmy, please, let's uh, let's schedule our calls here Mr. out of the Wilson, showtime. Mr. Wilson, I got yeah. something from Amazon for you in the oh. delivery today. I don't want to talk about that one, It's Jimmy. one of those things from television that gets rid of eye bags and uh, eye bag fixer cream. Not now, Jimmy. I think you ordered this. It's uh, called Bags Be Gone. Okay, all right. Yeah, your bags have arrived, Mr. Wilson. You what? know, Mr. Wilson, I don't think they know you, though. Why? They've not pro what? Your bags are so big, they can't fit in an overhead compartment. All right, all right that's enough, Jimmy. That's Bring enough. Bring it up. That Exceeding the limit with the bags. Bring it up. Now, besides the, uh, the, the marijuana uh, cannabis issue, you, you talked about the prioritization. Uh, you saw a lot in, in your... Uh, in your six years in that role, what areas did you see that we really do need to add resources to, or maybe, for lack of a better term, clamp down on, or or bring the the power and the force of the federal government into each of these districts at a greater extent than we were doing? I mean, surely you saw some other miscarriages where you thought. Well, well, we need more here. We need well, more. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, again, you know, violent crime. I mean, uh, one of the things that we did in Kansas um, and out of the 93 federal districts, District of Columbia makes 94, if you are a felon, you do not have Second Amendment rights. In Kansas, the state law is such that, depending on your, your history, you might get presumptive probation. More often than not, someone who's a felon who now has a weapon in their possession is, a, is somebody who's out to do bad deeds, you know. So what we did is we reached out to uh, sheriffs and chiefs of police in western Kansas. You know, you're, you're in a county and there's 5,000 people. And you, go to the, you can go to the chief or you can go to the sheriff and say, who are the bad guys? And they'll tell you. They know. Well, it's the, you know, the Jones brothers. They've, they're always in trouble. They're cooking meth up in the woods, and they've been away now. And, they're, and we say, well, what are they up to now? Well, we, we, we've got some suspicions, but we're not quite sure. And I say, well, if you happen to pull them over, and they've got a Glock or an AK-47 assault rifle, call us. Under federal law, we can impose a larger uh, uh, penalty. So we could go into those small communities and we could excise a cancer. We could cut mm -hmm. out that, those bad apples in those communities. And it has a huge impact. You know, we, we were out in western Kansas, we were out in Dodge, and there was a group of uh, a, a large gang, the, Norte, the Nortinos, the Northerners, interestingly enough, a product of the California penal system. They were second and third generation Americans who understood that they could prey upon undocumented workers who worked in the meat packing plants and, and, the, and, and the feed lots and such because those folks would not go to the police. 
it just got out of control where we finally had some uh, a fellow who was, was murdered and we started looking into it and we went in under uh, the racketeering laws under RICO and we took out 22 really very bad, very dangerous, very violent members of this gang. Hmm. Well, when you're in a, when you take out 22 of the, the toughest fellows out there and you're in a community of 30 or 35,000, that would be the same as if you take 400 off the street in Kansas City, Missouri or Kansas City, Kansas. So it had a huge and an immediate impact. And most of, a lot of those folks had, you know, very long uh, felony histories. And so we could, we could use possession of weapons uh, as, as a mechanism to, to excise them from the community. But well, again, there was that fodder for them was people that where the laws were not properly enforced. You had right. uh, illegal immigration. Uh, those people were living in a gray zone. They became vulnerable to these oh, yeah. criminals. So yeah. another whack-a-mole going on exactly. there. Exactly, exactly. It was very gratifying, and, and you know, I have nothing but great things to say about the uh, amazing people I worked with uh, in, in the District of Kansas. It was very gratifying to go back out to Dodge like three months after this has happened and was talking to this detective. She, she worked the case with us. And she said, you know, Mr. Grissom, since the indictment, we hadn't had any drive-by shootings. Wow. Before that, we were, we were averaging a couple a month. So, you know, you could, it's real tactile. I mean, you could, you could see, you know, there was, that, that your efforts were providing some, you know, some real positives for folks. So that was not just, not, not just another file on your desk, but something really helping that community. So take well, a lot of pride. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Made a lot of progress, I'm sure, and uh, had a great adventure, I would say. It was, that's the right word. It was an adventure. That was an adventure. It was, it was, uh, I was, I was Local really, boy makes good. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I was really fortunate that uh, Attorney General Holder asked me to be on, uh, he's, it's called the Attorney General's Advisory Committee. And they, he chooses 14 U.S. attorneys out of the 90, 93 to serve on this. So every three weeks you were in D.C. working on policy, working with the Attorney General, working with the Deputy Attorney General. It, it, I, I can't even, you know, it, beyond my wildest dream, I ever thought I'd be, you know, sitting at the table, uh, dealing and talking with those folks. But it was, it wasn't a real adventure, great, really great experience. I'll bet so. And aren't you with a, a, the former attorneys? Is that a group yes, also? Yes. Uh, talk about a weird acronym. Is that a golfing group N- Nafusa, or what is it? Nafusa. Uh-huh, I mean, that yeah. sounds like something from the Marx Brothers, right? Nafusa. Mm-hmm. I've got yeah. a bad case well, in Nafusa. Yeah. The National Association of Former United States Attorneys. There you go. And uh, it's really it's a, it's a great group. Group uh, that we are very uh, we're nonpartisan. So we have U.S. attorneys from every administration. I think we still have somebody from the Johnson administration. Hmm. I mean, wow. So so uh, out of the out of I think I think we're up to about seventy of the Obama folks. Who have joined, and we, we get together once a year and um, chat and have fun. But uh, uh, but no, really interesting group of folks. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, it's just get around, and play golf or cornhole you know, or whatever. You, you go in, you know, you get your you know continuing legal education out of the way. We'll have uh, you know people come in and, and, and do presentations, and uh, and usually uh, uh, we were in. Uh, let's see, we're, 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 we were in D.C. just recently. Anytime there's a change of administration, we always go back to D.C. Uh, let's see, we, South Carolina, beautiful South Carolina. And uh, I was just, I'm on a, a, a board for that as well. And we had a meeting down in Florida, which is 
a lot of fun. We'll see if you can bring them here. I mean, we, you know, yeah. all we ever get here is, uh, you know, the religious conventions. <laughs> good to have some people that, you know. I miss, I miss the old FFA days. Remember you see oh, all the yeah. guys down You guys have downtown. jackets. We don't that's have jackets, right. but that's a great idea. We can that's right. Coats. I will design you some jackets. <laughs> <laughs> some some, some uh, old man jackets. I guess. Yeah. Probably like 98% men. Double-breasted right? jean jackets. Yeah, so there you go. Are there women in the group? Oh, yeah. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the more recent, you know, uh, we, we, were, we were laughing. Uh, a couple of us from the Obama administration had a picture of Attorney General Sessions up in his conference room, which was Robert Kennedy's old office, which is kind of cool. Uh, and he looked and go, are there any women in the picture? This looks like rush week. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, who was the first female member of your group, do you know? Oh, first female member, wow. Um, I don't. But it would probably have to be some. I'm going to say it was because before you start making fun of sessions, we got to find out if that first one was from the Reagan administration. Could have been. Could have been. <laughs> Could have been. Yeah. Could have been. Uh, Ronnie probably has some some really able folks uh, working for him. Um, but uh, it was really kind. Of, it was it was it was a little interesting though. And, and we're sitting around and it's, hmm, you know, just just bunch of guys and they're all white guys <laughs> well that'll change you know that but uh you know the, the one of the things that's been uh, you know it's, it's part of the game i mean you you know it's going to change but it was a little disheartening you know uh when we had a change in administration and when uh, mr sessions came in i mean his approach to law enforcement uh is kind of rooted in his experience when he was when he was a u.s attorney uh back in the 90s uh, maybe even late 80s, I guess. But uh, just kind of lock them up, throw away the key. Uh, let's build, you know, let's build, move on. Let's build a bunch mm-hmm. of private prisons. And well, know, I think things know. are changing. If you see them grow sideburns or something, you'll know. <laughs> you'll know. Those hip kids. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> kids today. Well, that's thank right. you so much, Barry. We oh, really enjoyed this. It's fine. Great Absolutely. stories. Great and, stuff. And and fun. you have your media mayhem is different from most of the other people that we're going to talk to <laughs> because you know it's a little more serious. And, uh, but, uh, look forward to seeing, uh, how this unfolds for you. And, uh, I know you're going to get a lot of, ten- a lot of attention on this subject. Um, we're hoping to, so we're hoping to. good luck to you. And, uh, thank you, Dick, anything to offer? Uh, well, Barry? I just want to make sure you've got enough, uh, Hawaiian shirts for all of the events you'll be going to. Yes, so. absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Right, yes. Okay, yes. Good. And Dick does tie-dye also. There you go. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, guys. All right, Barry Grissom, thanks so much for being with us, and good luck on your future endeavors. Yeah. Dick? Yes, sir. Man, we got a cool show. We got a guy coming in from Hollywood to be with us right here in this chair. Woo! International film and television star, Peabody Award winner, Nick Searcy. He's got some stories. Now that's going to be fun. Yeah. And if that's not enough, we got a guest host. Yeah. We've got the great Art Still. Former chief. Who is a really fun character, and we're going to have a blast. Sounds good. And we're also going to talk to my buddy, Kendall Culbertson, Outlaw Cigars. He's got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Brewery, distillery, just all kinds of good things. So don't miss it. Cool guy, yeah. Dick and Lloyd's Media and Marketing Mayhem. Join us next week. You might love it. 
You might hate it. It's my favorite freaking show. 